0: Cool. Well, hey, we are in the fourth week of a series that technically, or not technically, we started on Christmas Eve, uh, where we're celebrating the birth of Christ. And what we're doing is going through the book of Mark, and we're going to be walking with Jesus and, and uh, looking at how he does things and how he interacts with people and looking at his ministry. And we are going to go all the way through until Easter, where we will uh, celebrate him being risen again. And I'm really excited about this series. I'm actually uh, really excited about the journey that we are going to be going on. Like I said, we started on Christmas Eve celebrating his birth. And what we're going to do is go all the way up to uh, Holy Week, which is the week that he actually enters into Jerusalem. And what we're going to be doing is uh, uh, every night that week, we are going to be uh, meeting here uh, and, and walking with Jesus and experiencing what him and the disciples experienced in the final week of Jesus' ministry. And then on Good Friday, we're going to be here and, uh, and really observe uh, and, and try to experience what it must have been like to see uh, your, your, your Lord and your Savior and the person that you've been following being nailed to the cross and dying. And then, right after uh, that prayer gathering, what we're going to be doing as a, as a church is uh, we're going to go into a prayer vigil. And we're going to be doing sign-ups uh, uh, to make sure that somebody is here from uh, the end of uh, Good Friday gathering all the way until 9.30 uh, Easter morning, and uh, that, that we can be watching and waiting so this year we can really celebrate our risen Lord. So I'm really excited about the journey that we've been on the uh, previous three weeks. We saw Jesus come in. Uh, he was baptized by John and, and uh, really uh, proclaiming that he has indeed taken on this mission um, of being the Savior of the world, that he, this was the path that he was going to go on. We started him seeing healing people and uh, promoting and getting a a large following that people are excited about his teaching and last week we started to see some some cracks in in those who are listening and, and following him. In fact, uh, the Pharisees started to criticize him, and we saw some criticisms about how he was healing people and 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 um, doing different things like that and we're going to see that continue leading up until Good Friday now um, in this series uh we're really framing this whole series around two questions. And these two questions that, that I, don't, I can't answer for you, I only can answer for myself, and, and that we want you to be able, by the end of this series, to be, an, to be able to answer for yourself. And the first question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you, do you see him as a good teacher, rabbi, a, a, a prophet, Or do you see him as the son of God? That's the first question that over uh, the remaining uh, 10 weeks that we want to really challenge you in your heart and in your mind. You can really settle this question. Who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? And then the second question is based on that first answer is what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean in the 21st century as you go to work every day or you go to school every day and your relationships and everything else, what does it mean to follow this Jesus? So if you would, if you'd open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, we're going to continue with his story. And it starts out here in, in verse 18. Once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting... Some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Now, fasting uh, is an outward sign of humility and repentance of sin. And John's disciples, that that they would fast uh, because they wanted to show that, you know, that they were preparing themselves for the coming Messiah that they, they were humbling themselves and they were repenting of their sins. The Pharisees, they fasted because they wanted to show people how holy they were. They wanted to, to show you that they have this external uh, sign that they were fasting. In fact, what they would do a lot of times is they would wear beat up clothes when they were fasting. They put ash on their face and make a real show and let everybody know that, hey, I'm, I'm fasting. Aren't I so holy? And holy in the sense of, aren't I, aren't I uh, set aside for, for God's purpose? And, and it was almost kind of a, a condemnation of everybody else. You know, don't you wish you were as holy as I? And uh, so this is what's going on. And they're coming up to Jesus because, you know, Jesus, he wasn't fasting and and his disciples weren't fasting. And they're all like, Jesus, why are you guys fasting? Why aren't you fasting like these other religious people? Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus wasn't against fasting. In fact, he fasted for 40 days uh, in the desert. And so it wasn't that he was in opposition of fasting but but there, there was something larger going on, and this is what Jesus said. He said, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. So he's bringing in this imagery of, of the wedding. Now, all of us uh, have, have been to weddings and, and to wedding receptions. And what happens at, at wedding receptions, you know, that, that really what's going on is, is it's a celebration of these two people coming together. And really, in, in our culture, in our society, that, that, that people try to present the very best meal That they can't afford. When you're invited to a wedding, I mean, it's very expensive to uh, put on a wedding. It's very expensive to cater for all your friends and family. And there's great sacrifice of not only time, but there's great sacrifice of money to go into the preparation of this meal. For some reason, it's usually salmon or chicken, and and you know, then you have your choice. Now, sometimes you go and you uh, have the the buffet kind of thing and you get up and you, you know, you grab your chicken or you grab your your salmon and all the other stuff or, or, uh, for weddings that people have been able to have a little more resources that they'll, they'll have a, you know, a sit down dinner and people come up and they're like, do you want chicken or do you want salmon? And the whole bit. And, uh, so imagine yourself, you know, all dressed up, everybody's all dressed up, you know, you're celebrating your friends or your family coming together, and everybody's eating and, and feasting, and, and they come to you, or it's time to go up to the, the buffet, and you're like, I'm not eating. Like, do you know something? No. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I'm just not eating because, you know, I'm not going to participate in this celebration that I'm just, I'm not going to be part of it. It would be scandalous, right? I mean, you'd be the worst dinner guest ever or the best, you know, party attender that that, that you would insult the bride and the groom and and you would insult the parents and the the family by doing this. And Jesus here is saying, look, that the groom is here. Now this goes to help us answer this, this first question, who is Jesus? And Jesus is helping us answer this question by, by saying, look, you know what? Do wedding guests fast when celebrating with the groom? Of course not. He's talking about himself as the groom. And throughout the story of God, throughout the Bible that we see that there's this, this, this metaphor, this imagery of the bride and the groom. The bride is God's people. In the Old Testament, it was the Israelites. In the New Testament, it is the church. And God is the groom. And Jesus is answering this question, or at least giving us a pretty clear clue of who he says he is in this circumstance. In fact, if you look in Isaiah chapter 65, 62, excuse me, verse 5, it says, "'Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem.'" Listen to this. Just as a young man commits himself to his bride, then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. In the Old Testament, Isaiah say, "Look, God is the groom, and he will if you obey him and you follow him, O Jerusalem, O Israelites. That that if you do this, it'll be like a groom." on his wedding day, looking at his beautiful wife. And he and God will, will love you and take care of you as the groom does for his bride. And like I said, this is not just a Old Testament understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. Also in the New Testament in Revelation, in chapter 21, verse 2, John writes this, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. We are the new Jerusalem, the church. Coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Talking about the restoration of the church. That someday the brokenness of the the church is going to be restored. And we are going to be once again like the bride that is worthy of for Jesus, the groom. So Jesus is, through this imagery, very clearly helping us and answer this question, who he is. He is indeed God. And then he goes on, he shifts gears here, and he, he starts using some different imagery because he he knew that this was going to be difficult for the religious rulers and the religious people to understand. And he says, besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. Now, those of you under 40 have no idea what Jesus is talking about here. You see, in the olden days before the internet... And iPods and i things that that you bought clothes and they weren't pre shrunk. Yeah, I know it's terrible, and it's especially like my, I know my mom's here and I don't want to insult my mom, but but it's very difficult to buy clothes for for your for your children because one they're growing like like weeds, but the other thing is what you got in the store was going to shrink once it was put into the washer and the dryer, and they didn't all shrink the same way. So either, you know, you, you were wearing clothes that, you know, you were like John Travolta and they were like super, super tight, or or they were, you know, like super, super baggy and, and loose and stuff like that. And you know, right after they discovered how to slice bread, they came out with this other, this other cool invention. is called, and it, th- this was a big deal. Like, I mean, you would see it on all this kind of new clothing. It was called pre-shrunk. Like, it was awesome. Like, you would try something on, and you would take it home, and it would stay that size. I mean, that was cool in the 70s, I'm telling you. I mean, this was a, this was a big deal. But what you, like in, the, like in the 20th century, that was a new advent. In, in, in the first century, like no pre-shrunk, no nothing like that. that. That you had your clothes and you would make them, your toga or whatever, and uh, it would shrink. And God forbid that you got a tear in it. Now, this was before like grunge was cool in the nineties, having like, you know, even on my pants here, I bought them like this with this little rip here. That you know, that, that shows you that your hip. I'm a hip pastor. I mean, what can I say? And uh, but in the first century, not so hip. So, what they would want to do is put a patch on that old clothing. And Jesus is sitting here going, Look, just like you wouldn't put a new patch on old clothing, why? Because once you washed it, it would shrink and it would tear the clothing and it would be worse than before. And what Jesus is trying to paint here is this picture of like, look, Pharisees, your religious rules and, and your, your adherence to ritual is like your old garments. They're, they're, they're worn and they're comfortable. That they, they've been shrunk and they're manageable. And if, you know, you get a little tear, which I'm giving you right now by my presence here, if you try to take me and adhere me to your old ways and try to contain me, that that eventually it is going to tear your religion, it's going to tear your paradigm so you are worse off than before. Then he continues on to to uh give us even more imagery says this and no one puts new wine into an old wineskin for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost new wine calls for new wineskin now this is kind of gross but this is this is like wineskins they were made out of goats they would peel goats and uh I don't know if it's technically peeling goats. I don't know what the right word is, but but you whatever you skin them. Yeah, you would skin the goats and clean them up really good. And you would take these two. You know the the is it leather skin? Yes. Thank you. thank you. Yes, <laughs> it's both I guess. And you would you would sew them on the on the edges ends edges. And uh, you would pour your your grape juice in there, and as it fermented into yes alcoholic wine uh that that it would expand with the bag but once it was expanded you couldn't take you know you couldn't drink your wine and then pour new grape juice in there and let it ferment why because once all the gases were coming out and all that kind of stuff it would burst that bag and this is what Jesus is trying to say he's like look you're your your traditions and your rituals that that they are like the old wineskins that they've served their purpose and if you try to put the new paradigm of grace of me Jesus into these old wineskins that your your old paradigm is going to burst and not only that you are going to lose the new paradigm of grace that is now here in your presence he's he's going right after the established religious structure that his, that had been there so after that Jesus decides to lay low a little bit. He doesn't. In verse twenty three he says, On or excuse me, one Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And here we're going to have another conflict between the Pharisees and Jesus. You see, Jesus and and his disciples, they're walking through on the Sabbath, and, and the Mosaic law clearly said, you cannot harvest grain on the Sabbath, on Saturday, that this was a day of rest. And here... Jesus is in this, in this little altercation, in this, this conflict that, that Jesus is going to answer or help us answer this second question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is how he answers the question that the Pharisees have, why are you breaking the law by harvesting the grain on the Sabbath? And this is what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. I gotta tell you, I've been struggling with this all week. I don't like that. I don't like that, that... Jesus helping us answer this, this question of what does it mean to follow him? That, that he brings out this Old Testament story of, of David going into the house of God and taking the sacred bread and eating it himself and then giving it to his companions. I tell you, I struggled a lot. Like, what is Jesus saying here? What's going on? Well, to give you a little backfill on, on, on basically what this story encompassed, that, that David, basically, David wanted, it, and there were, uh, on the Sabbath, the, the tribes, there was 12 tribes of, of Israel that they, they would bake loaves of bread on Friday. Then on Saturday morning on the Sabbath that they would come and they would each bring a loaf of bread and they would put it on this table as a symbolic gesture of them giving an offering to God. And that bread would sit there through the whole week until that process repeated itself again. And when they would clear that bread out on the old bread, the week old bread, they would put it aside and that's... What, what priests would eat and things like that. Well, that, that, that weak old bread, this is what David is eating. And this is the bread that he gave uh, to his companions. And Jesus is equating this story to him walking through the grain fields and, and eating grain. And really after just really praying through this, I think Jesus here is reminding us that ritual observance must yield to moral obligations. What he's saying is, look, you have this this religious ritual which is important, which is good, that he does not have any problems with, but he's saying, look, this, this ritual, this, this ritual that is meant to show that you worship God, that you follow God, can never be elevated over you being the tangible hand of God to being the conduit of God's love and mercy and grace. In a sense, just saying, look, ritual observance, must always yield to being the tangible hand of Christ. And when you look at it that way, then he, then he continues in saying this. He goes just to really just pour some gas on this fire. He says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a big deal to the religious rulers of the day, uh, the Pharisees. That everything revolved around the Sabbath. You don't mess with the Sabbath. And Jesus is sitting here going, guys, you've gotten it backwards. The Sabbath was not created for you to serve it. The law of Moses was not created for you to serve the law. It's the other way around. The Sabbath and the law was created to benefit you. it's a completely different way of looking at it and what Jesus is sitting here is like the Pharisees are there and and their their little new patches on their old togas were were ripping apart at this point their their wineskins were were bursting because Jesus had just re did a course correct because up until that point they looked at their their ritual and they looked at their, their religious practices and traditions as the priority over living out and being freed by what the Sabbath and the law was meant to do. And then Jesus, just to win friends and influence people, ends with this. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I'm personally surprised they didn't kill him right there. No, I'm no joke. I mean, that, that Jesus is going right for the jugular here. And when we look at this and we see that Jesus is, is clearly saying to us, he's like, look, Helping us answer the question, I am the groom. I am the one that you have been waiting for. I am God. And then he goes in to help us. The second question, what does it mean to follow him? Number one, it means that we have to set aside our foolishness. That we have to not try to sow patches of different theology or different ideas and different uh, uh, ideas that we can't uh, sow the patch of grace onto the law because what's going to happen is disaster. In the same way, you can't put the new wine of grace into the, the old package of the law and expect good results that you need to... Put new wine into new wineskins to live in the reality essentially of Jesus Christ and His love. He also says to follow Him that we must be brave enough and, and suffer the consequences of yielding our religious rituals and traditions to the action of following him. And you like might be sitting there and saying, well, what do you mean, you know, put up with the condemnation and and, and the criticism of others if we if we put the priority on being in the tangible hand of Christ, if we put the priority on our moral obligations and loving others above our our religious observances. What does that, what does, why would you be criticized? Well, people hold very dearly to those, and people will question your orthodoxy. People will, will question if you are, you are holy enough or pure enough. But what Jesus is saying here is you know what? To follow me, you are going to have to be willing to take the criticism from those who are meant to be your friends. And that is hard. It's a lot easier to take criticism from your enemies. It's a lot harder to take criticism from those around you who, who, who say that they are your, your friends. And that's why you know we have this public advisory Jesus content, because we're, we're not dealing with the, the Sunday school Jesus with the blue sash, or we're not dealing with the, the South Park Jesus that we are dealing and looking at the real Jesus and what it, who he really is and what his life and his ministry was about, and trying to truly answer what? Does it mean to follow this very ill irreligious Savior? You guys pray with me. <laughs> Dear Lord, I just uh pray for each and every one of us as we as we wrestle and struggle through the book of Mark, as we struggle with your life as we really look at what you are saying in the analogies and the metaphors that you use. God, I just pray that you will allow each and every one of us clearly without doubt settle once and for all in our minds who we say you are. God, I just pray for those right now who are just really trying to answer that question that right now in their hearts, in their chairs, in their minds, just between you and them, that maybe today is the day that they say, Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior, and I will follow you as best as I can. God, I also pray for those of us who have fallen into the trap of of elevating ritual or tradition over following you. And God, I just pray that we can repent of that right now. That we can ask your forgiveness and rely on your grace. And never again... Allow ritual observance, religious observance supersede your call for us to be the conduit of your love and grace to a lost and hurting world. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.